0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's your Cleveland Guardians 8, the Chicago White Sox 4. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And what a fun night for baseball it was for Cleveland fans down at Progressive Field last night. The Guardians come home shake off the terrible road trip where they were supposed to be winning games, now having to face the Chicago White Sox, trying to hang on to their spot in the American League Central. And what do they do? They deliver a really strong offensive game to hang on and beat the White Sox to kick off the series. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines of this game because the top storyline for me has to be the offense coming alive. Uh, we do have a uh, another rookie call-up, and we will get to it. Alex Call makes his Major League debut, an outfielder from AAA. We will definitely get to that and give you a little scouting report on Alex Call before the episode is over. But the offense coming alive is the top storyline. And Zach Plesak has to be sitting there going, are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? They put up 13 runs the day before my start. They put up eight runs the day after my start. They put up nothing while I'm in the ball game. One run on the day I start. Uh Plesek really does have the worst run support of anyone pitching at Cleveland right now. But Quantrill doesn't. He gets the uh the offense not only sets him up with a huge lead, five runs in the first inning, but Lance Lynn would settle down until the fifth when Cleveland would go off and add three more. So just when you thought Chicago was making it a game, right, they closed the gap. It's four to five. Cleveland goes off for three more in the fifth inning. Man, I love seeing crooked numbers up there. A five-run inning, a three-run inning, that's fun stuff. Crooked numbers are a lot of fun. They're a lot more fun than straight numbers or round numbers. I guess an eight-run inning is pretty fun. But uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so, yeah, so Kyle Quantrill gets the run support, and not only that, look at that. They put up five runs. Quantrill puts up a zero the next half inning. They put up three runs. Quantrill puts up a zero in that sixth inning. That's huge. That's huge stuff right there. And then Quantrill and Stefan combine to put up a zero in that seventh inning. Um, I mean, Quantrill let two guys on. Trevor Stefan's really the one that put up a zero in that seventh inning. But yeah, that's big stuff. We talked about it before. When your team scores, when your team scores to be able to come back and put up a zero on the board, that does a lot for the dugout. That does a lot for momentum. Uh, it really shows who is in control of this game. All right, so let's get into the scoring here uh, because, uh, I mean, the Guardians' offense was just fun. It was just fun. It was interesting how it happened. Uh, First off, in the bottom of the first inning there, the Guardians, this all happens with two outs. Yeah, Andres, um, uh, Ahmed Rosario gets on uh, with one out. All right, that one didn't come with two outs. But Jose Ramirez would pop out, would fly out after him. And now the whole rally happens with two outs. The first two guys to reach are both infield singles. There would be three infield singles in this rally. And there would be three base hits right back up the middle. So Ahmed Rosario, it glances off the second baseman. That goes for an infield single. Naylor hits a slow chopper, 68 mile per hour exit velocity, drives it into the ground, um, three feet in front of the plate, and uh, it chops it down the third base line, and then gives you full speed Josh Naylor. Where that came from, I don't know. But Josh Naylor, the slowest guy, the guy dealing with the leg injury, legs out an infield single. So you got to give him credit for that. He may not be fast, but man, he delivers there. Uh, So you got two infield singles already to kick the thing off. Fermil Reyes goes up the middle with a nice shot up the middle. That brings in the first run of the game. Andres Jimenez would walk, and that brings up Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones in his first at-bat at home in Cleveland, and uh, Lance Lynn is just jamming him up and in. Uh, Let me find the at-bat here in the matchup. He's pitching him up most of the at-bat. He goes down for one fastball, that he misses down and in. He actually starts 0-2. I mean, Lynn was struggling to find it, so it's good patience here from Nolan Jones. You'll see the reason this rally ends is because somebody didn't have patience, So yeah, good patience from Jones here. He gives him a fastball high that he lays off. Gives him a fastball in that he lays off. Comes back with another fastball in the zone that he takes for a called strike at the top of the zone. The next three pitches would all be at the top of the zone. The first fastball or the third fastball they had I should say, was right down the middle of the plate, but it was up at the letters, called strike. The next one is a little bit higher. It's up in the armpits. It's in, and he fouls it off really jams him up and in he comes back with a cutter this time up and in it's a little bit lower it goes from the armpits down to the letters but he has to protect now with two strikes but he knows what he's got to do he knows lance Lynn is trying to pitch him up and in and he gets the bat up there somehow now he saws the bat off at the handle literally all he's doing is holding a handle of the bat in his hand when this at bat is over it snaps the bat off, but it works for a bloop single in center field, our second hit in the center field in this inning, and it brings in two runs to score. Fran Mio Reyes has no problem scoring from second base. You know he can throw the speed on when he needs to throw the speed on. So Nolan Jones's first at-bat at progressive field at home in Cleveland is a sawed-off bat bloop single into center field. Not really the launch angle, not really the barrel that we expected from Nolan Jones, but hey, it gets the job done. And give him credit for protecting the zone with two strikes and for recognizing that he's being pitched up and in and knowing what he has to do, knowing that he's got to get those shoulders up there, get the bat up there to make contact with this ball. And he does it. He successfully does it. So a good at-bat from Nolan Jones. We will see a barrel from him a little bit later in the game. He is going to unload on one later in the game. So, Maley draws a walk uh, that keeps the bases loaded. And then Strahd delivers a single up the middle. He was trying to stay away on him uh, the entire time. And that fourth pitch of the at-bat kind of creeps on a 2-1 count, kind of creeps back towards the middle of the plate. It's still away. It's fastballs away. That's all he's seen the whole at-bat. And he drives it right back up the middle, 94.1 mile per hour exit velocity. It's a nice shot up the middle, and it scores two runs. The rally almost continues on a Stephen Kwan infield single. Uh, he chops one to Tim Anderson that Kwan just beats it out. Um, and then uh, it loads the bases back up. Unfortunately, Ahmed Rosario, this is what I was talking about. Lynn was struggling to find it. Everybody had been working the count. And then Ahmed Rosario comes up, swings at the first pitch, and uh, flies out to right field. It's not a terrible swing. It's a cutter kind of down in and way and he shoots it out into right field. Now, this would set up Ahmed Rosario's next at-bat. He's a little too aggressive in this at-bat, and he flies out to right field. In Ahmed Rosario's next at-bat, this wouldn't turn into anything, but this was the inning where we got two guys on, and then uh, Ramirez and Naylor can't do anything with it. After a mile straw ground out, Stephen Kwan, I believe this is the top of the fourth inning. Uh, Steven Kwan is hit by a pitch to start the rally. Ahmed Rosario comes up. This time he's patient. He takes two called strikes kind of right down the middle of the plate. Maybe a little too patient. Then he fouls off a cutter down and away. You thought that was the pitch he was going to strike out on. Comes back with four seam fastballs at the top of the zone. And you know he's just setting him up for the cutter away. You know that's Amin Rosario's chase spot, right? Down and away. You know he's going to chase down and away. He fouls off two fastballs at the top of the zone that he had to protect. It's still a one-two count. Throws him another cutter down and away, but he shoots it out in the right field. The only thing you could do with that pitch is shoot it out in the right field. Now, he was a little too aggressive in his first at-bat and flew out to right field, This one, he works deep into the count, a six-pitch at-bat, and this time he's ready for that cutter outside, and now he can successfully shoot it into right field for a single. Now, there's a little bit of bat-bip luck there, sure, but I like this at-bat from Ahmed Rosario. Even though he was battling, even though he was down 1-2, you know, down in it the entire time, uh, he was battling at this at-bat, he worked this at-bat, and he's rewarded for it. The bat-bip gods reward him with a single in the right field. Now, they can't score anymore off of this. Unfortunately, Ramirez and Naylor get out. So you felt like there was an opportunity here. At that point, it was a 5-4 game. And you felt like it was an opportunity to uh, you know, get something going there to add to the lead, and it, we let it go. And you were a little bit worried that Quantrill was going to get hammered and knocked out of this game at this point. I mean, the White Sox had scored in back-to-back innings in the third and the fourth. So now, yeah, it is a tough game. Sure, that first-run rally, I mean, a five runs in the first inning. You thought you were about to knock Lance Lynn out of the game in that first inning. He's able to hang on there and get through it. He ends up throwing 100 pitches on this game and probably does a lot to help the bullpen for the doubleheader today. But you thought you were going to knock him out there. Instead, you knock him out in this fifth inning here. So uh, it's a nice rally to bounce back. Quantrill just put up a 0 in the 5th inning. You just wasted your opportunity in the 4th inning. And here come the Guardians storming back in the 5th inning. And it would be for Fermil Reyes leading off the inning with a single into center field. Once again, a single into center field. Uh, he was actually down 0-2. And he tried to come in on him and jam him inside. And he's able to fight it off and shoot it into center field. That would bring up... Uh, Andres Jimenez, who once again is hit by a pitch. are you kidding me? On an 0-2 count, by the way. On an 0-2 count, he ends up hitting him in the foot with a cutter. Lance Lynn was struggling with this command all day. And Andres Jimenez pays the price once again. Hit right in the top of the foot. Luckily, he wears a pad there, but you know, it doesn't prevent everything from hurting. You know, I, He is the most beat-up man in our lineup with these hit-by-pitches. And then Nolan Jones staying patient. Misses with a fastball away. Clearly, Lynn is struggling to find it. He does get a sinker over for a called strike. Throws him a slider in the dirt that he's able to lay off. Now he's in command, 2-1 in the count. Lynn's got to come in with a fastball, and this is a nitro zone for a left-handed hitter. Down and in, but still well on the plate, right? It's that lower-in quadrant, but it's really close to the middle of the plate. And he unloads on this thing. 110 mile per hour exit velocity, 18 degree launch angle, 375 to the base of the wall in right center field. For Reyes comes flying around from second to score. Andres Jimenez is trying to score from first base. He is clearly losing a little bit of steam as he comes down the uh, the third base line. You know, Andres Jimenez has speed, but I think he's a little bit more of a sprinter than a long-distance runner. You know, if if he were running track and field events, you'd probably want him in the 50-meter. You're not having him run uh, the 200-meter race because he's going to run out of steam, and he's clearly running out of steam, rounding third and heading home, but the throw takes a really tough one-hop. The catcher still needs to come up with it. Uh, The White Sox catcher, uh, Zavala, he's got to catch up, get this ball. Uh, Instead, it takes a wicked one-hop over him, and uh, he would have been a dead duck. Andres Jimenez absolutely would have been a dead duck. He would have been thrown out. I even think Fermil Reyes is telling him that as they're walking into the dugout. And Jimenez kind of has this look of like, well, hey, calling that field is safe. So I guess it worked out. And uh, it did. It did. I mean, sometimes it pays to be aggressive, especially when you have the lead, right? And you could be aggressive a little bit. And so, yeah, even, even getting that first run there would have been big uh, to give us a two-run lead. But making it an eight to four game, uh, or at that point makes it a seven to four game, was huge. Getting that other run across was huge. On the th- so they give a throwing error to Lurie Garcia on the relay throw, even though man, he he really put that thing on the plate. It was just the hop just wasn't in the right spot uh, for the catcher to come up with it. But we make it a seven. But there's still nobody out. We make it a seven to five, seven to four game. But there's nobody out. And so we got to get this Nolan Jones run home. Luke Mailey throws him. So Matt Foster comes in out of the bullpen. Throws him all sliders outside. And he ends up chasing him. Uh, It takes one. I take that back. A called strike uh, right on the outside edge. Ooh, Foster gets a lucky call here. But throws him all sliders away and gets him to strike out. And then Miles Straw comes up now with one out. He, another righty, Foster doesn't throw many sliders. He goes all fastballs against Miles Straw. Hits the outside corner for strike one. Chases one up above his shoulders for strike two. And you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. Straw is going to let this rally get away. Nope. He gets one down and in this time. This cannot be where this pitch was called for. This cannot be the location they were trying to go. Middle, Almost middle of the plate. Right below the belt. And he shoots it into right field. 99.3 miles per hour. M- no, 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 he didn't shoot in the right field. He shot it up the middle. It deflects off pitcher Matt Foster in the right field. He was going up the middle again. So Straw twice in this game had RBI hits going up the middle. It's funny. I wonder if they would consider this eventually when all the data is correlated into his StatCast page. Is this going to be considered an opposite field hit? Because they do have it credited as a ground ball to right field. Uh, is this going to be considered an opposite field hit? Or an up the middle hit because technically it's up the middle, right? But the result is a ball to the opposite field. So I want you know we'll never know. We'll never be able to parse through his uh, his uh, batting data at the end of the season to figure out where this one is credited to. But I wonder how Statcast handles something like this. Either way, it brings in Nolan Jones from third. Runner on third, less than two outs. You got to figure out a way to get that guy in. And I guess deflecting one off the pitcher and shooting it out into right field is a way. I say it all the time with a runner on third and less than two outs. There are so many ways for this guy to come in and score, and I bet you you didn't have this one penciled in, right? You're probably like, yeah, Davey, pass ball. Yeah, that works. Sack fly. That works. You could squeeze bunt. I bet you didn't have on your bingo card, deflect the ball off the pitcher and into right field. So Straw gets it done. That's the last run that comes in to score. It's a really good offensive day for your Cleveland Guardians. Uh, They were patient They worked some counts, and man, when they got some ball to hit, yeah, they hammered a few, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes it was weak contact. Sometimes it was infield singles that got the job done. I like the feistiness of the Guardians' offense, and it's amazing when the offense actually delivers a little bit. It's amazing how that helps the pitcher out, how Quantrill is able to settle down. He's able to come in and put up a zero after the Guardians take this big 8-4 lead. And then the bullpen is able to get the job done, right? It puts the bullpen in a much better situation when they're protecting a lead than when they're chasing a team. So, yeah, it's a great job. Uh, It's a great job by Cleveland's offense. Multi-hit games from Quan, from Ahmed Rosario, from Fermil Reyes has three hits on the day after he went 0-4 for with four strikeouts the day before. That's huge in the middle of the lineup right there. Uh, Andres Jimenez figures out a way how to get on base twice, and he delivers two runs scored because of it. Nolan Jones with two big hits in his Cleveland debut and four RBIs, the big RBI man on the day. And then Straw in the nine hole, two for four, three RBIs on the day. I hate to say it, but I think Miles Straw, I think he might, might be coming out of it just slightly. He's not the abysmal zero that he was uh, for a lot for the end of May, beginning of June. It was really rough there. Let's see what his last 15, his last seven looked like. All right, so this shows a guy coming out of it. His last 30 games, he's hitting 181. His last 15 games, he's hitting 265. His last seven games, he's hitting 400 with over an 800 OPS. Uh, yeah, that shows me a guy coming out of it a little bit, right? Trying to starting to figure it out just a little bit here in that nine hole. And he could stay down there. He could stay and be really productive in the ninth spot in the lineup. Quan obviously leading off is working, right? It is working for the kid. So, yeah, this could work if Strauss starts to figure things out in center field. Now, you do have someone to back him up in center field uh, now, Uh, Well, Kwan would move over probably and play more center field, but Alex Call, another outfielder, is up. We're going to talk about pitching in a second. I don't know why I'm transitioning to Alex Call right here in the middle of the game, but let's pause on the game. Let's talk about the other outfielder that just got called up because Oscar Mercado got DFA'd once again. He's getting released once again by the Guardians. We'll see if he passes waivers this time. It ends up where he ends up. I don't know. They're talking about George Valera getting the call up to AAA. So I don't even know if they would take him down in AAA at this point. So Mercado is a free agent once again to go f- sign on with another. Actually, he's not a free agent. He's designated for assignment. I think they someone would still have to like make a little trade with us to get him. Uh, but Alex Call gets the Alex up. Wait, that's not the joke. I mean, everybody was making the obvious joke on Twitter yesterday, Alex call gets the call up. Uh, he has been down there in the minors for quite some time. Uh, he started his minor league career in 2016. Uh, he's 27 years old. So pretty old for a rookie. Uh, we got him in the trade for Yonder Alonso way back in the day. Fangraphs has him ranked 24th on the team. Uh, as far as our prospect rankings go, um, Although that's a 2018 prospect report. Is that possible? Uh, That's how far back Fangraphs is going to find this data on him. Uh, He's not listed in the top 30 on uh, MLB.com for Guardians prospects. Fangraphs has him as a 40 hit with a 45 potential, 40 game power with a 50 potential, 50 raw power grade, 50 speed, 50 field, and a 60 throw. So a decent arm there. They've got him as a 40 grade on his overall value Uh, so alright he's not the most highly regarded prospect but he has changed a lot in the last two years and he's hitting this year he's hitting 283 right now at triple A with an over 900 a 922 OPS with a 148 WRC plus uh, weighted runs created plus so that's big that's a nice number right there he is really doing well at AAA this year. And last year when he made the jump from AA to AAA, of course the numbers dip. They always do. He went from a 310 batting average at AA to a 229 batting average at AAA when he made the leap. The one thing that's changed about Alex Call is the strikeout rate and the swinging strike rate. So he had always been up in the 20s, in the high 20s when it comes to K percentage. in 2018 season. 2019 season, 28.6%. So he's up there striking out. His walk rate was in single digits. Well, suddenly he comes back after the COVID year in 2021, and the strikeout rate falls to the teens, 14.4%. And the walk rate suddenly is over 10 at 11.7. And over the next season and a half, going up to AAA, the strikeout rate has stayed in the teens. This year was at 16.4, and his walk rate continues to climb. It's up at 16.4. He's in he's got an even walk to strikeout ratio uh, this year at Triple A. So it's a huge, significant difference. His highest walk rate of his career, and he's keeping those strikeouts down. And if we go, the only thing they keep track of in the minor leagues when it comes to batted to plate discipline numbers. You know, usually we get the outside the zone swinging and the inside the zone and the contact numbers. The only thing they keep track of down in the minor leagues, at least on Fangraphs, is the swinging strike. And it's no surprise when that strikeout rate drops, his swinging strike percentage drops below 10%. He had been above 10% in the teens for his, most of his career. Suddenly it drops to 6%. And he's at a 6% swinging strike right now. So that, that attitude of making contact is paying off for Alex Call. He is definitely a pull hitter, and he's a fly ball hitter. Looking at his batted ball numbers, he's a 55.9% pull hitter, 24.5% up the middle, only 19.7% to the opposite field. That's low for even his career, overall career. Usually, he was in the 20 or 30% there. But the last two seasons, he's been above 50% pulling the ball at AAA, and he's a fly ball hitter. He's a 42%-ish fly ball hitter. So. Yeah, and he's found some power this year. He's hit more home runs this year than he's hit uh, at any other point in his career. Since getting to AAA, he's really unloaded the power. He's had 11 home runs so far this year. Um, so starting to hit the ball with some authority, it's as highest. so ISO is a stat we look at sometimes, right? It's the isolated power. It's the slugging percentage minus the batting average. So it's really looking at those extra base hits. It's the first time in his career that he's over a 200 ISO hitter, a 222. So really showing some power this season. So that's what you're getting in Alex call. Uh, he's probably going to be playing the corner outfield spots. He's that right-handed hitter. That's going to replace Oscar Mercado. I don't know how much you're going to see him in this series because there's only one lefty on the entire White Sox roster, and that is uh, one of the relief pitchers. So, unless one of the starters, and let's see if the starters are announced for this doubleheader because they were not as of yesterday. So, unless somebody gets the call up that is a, uh, a left handed pitcher to start in this doubleheader. Nope. Two righties are starting in this doubleheader. And then uh, Giolito's pitching the last game of the series. So, He's going to see all right-handed starters from the Chicago White Sox. I'm still guessing Alex Call might get a start in this doubleheader just to get somebody off their feet and not make all our young guys start two games. So he does make his major league debut. He pinch hits for Nolan Jones late in the game, and uh, he goes 0-for-1 on the day. So uh, it's not the huge successful start that we've seen from other rookies. He lines out uh, to start the seventh inning. It's actually pretty early for him to be coming in the game. I'm surprised that they bring him in in that seventh inning. You still got two more innings to go. I'm surprised you didn't want Nolan Jones out there. Jones does make a nice sliding catch early in the game, a nice defensive play, although he almost takes out Andres Jimenez. I don't understand how in this day and age these guys still don't know how to communicate on the baseball field. I don't care if Jones is new to the team. He's been spending his entire career in the minors In high school, calling for the ball. And I know it was a tough play, but you got to let Andres Jimenez know you're there, or Jimenez has to take the charge there and call everybody off. Somebody's got to call for it. I do not want to see guys crashing into each other, possibly injuring each other on things that could just be solved by communicating. All right, so Call doesn't have the huge start, but it was a pinch hit at bat. Let's see when he gets his first actual start, what he does, because so far, Rookie outfielders for Cleveland have had amazing starts, and I just wanted to compare Kwan and Nolan Jones in their first four games, because you think Nolan Jones is doing fantastic right? in his first four games. He's hitting .538. Kwan in his first four games, by the way, that Kansas City series, hits .692. Nolan Jones, in his first four games, has a 1.548 OPS. 1.54, over 1,000 OPS. Stephen Kwan in his first four games had a one point seven eight nine OPS, unbelievable stuff. Kwan delivered. Uh, let's keep going here. Jones delivered has delivered seven hits. He's on a four game hit streak. He's delivered seven hits to start his career. Kwan on a four game hit streak would uh, would go with a five game hit streak overall. But he had nine hits to start his major league career. He had. Uh, <laughs> I mean we could just keep jumping back and forth. Uh Jones has scored 3 runs. Quan had scored 6 runs in his major league debut. Now Jones has him on the RBIs. He's up to 8 RBIs now in his four first four games. Quan was only at 3 RBIs in his first four games. Uh the walks are what helped Quan's OPS that on base percentage. He drew 5 walks and didn't strike out in his first four games. Uh Jones has three walks uh, so far and struck out three times. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing. An amazing start for Nolan Jones. But I think Kwan still has them when it comes to the first four games. Uh, still had one of the most remarkable starts. Both of them are having fantastic starts to their major league career. But Kwan's got them just a little bit in his first four games. I just thought that was interesting to bounce back and forth between them. Most of these games were against the Kansas City Royals. And... Uh, just to see what Quan did in his first four versus Jones in his first four, I thought was fun. All right, let's get into the pitching here. Quantrill did have some innings where he struggled. But I really can't say that Quantrill pitched terrible on the day. Uh, his CSW numbers, he had a decent whiff rate. Uh, it's a 12 It's a twelve out of 49 swings. They were being ultra aggressive. Uh, 24% whiff rate. Uh, his best pitch there was the cutter. He had a 31% whiff rate on that cutter, um, but didn't add in many called strikes to that total. Uh, had some decent called strikes on the sinker, on the two-seamer. Mostly went sinker, cutter, changeup. A few fastballs and a few curveballs mixed in there, but it was mostly the three pitches that he was going with on the day. Uh, they did The thing about it is they did whiff 31% of the time on the cutter, But they weren't fouling any off. They only fouled one off. They put 10 in play off of him. So it was a combination of, yeah, he was getting some strikes, but they were also putting a lot of cutters in play. And they weren't hitting him very hard. The average exit velocity off Quantrill was only 86-mile-per-hour average exit velocity, so that's pretty good. You know, getting some weak contact. He was getting his ground balls that he usually gets. Um, he goes six innings total in this game, gives up eight hits, the four runs, one walk, only three strikeouts and the home run allowed. And you know what? I think if this hadn't have been such a crooked number home run, I think you'd be feeling much better about this start from Quantrill. Unfortunately, the home run comes with two guys on base and it makes this start look much worse than it actually was. He's hard hit only six times on 93 pitches, which is pretty good. And if we go over to the illustrator here and we flip over to the results tab, We can see it's not like Quantrill was ending up in the middle of the plate for a lot of these things. Yeah, there were a few singles from the middle of the plate. But A.J. Pollock, for some reason, he was pitching the right-hander inside. And Pollock was getting hits off him from, I mean, pitches that are buried inside. Uh, The double that he gets off him in the seventh inning is in off the plate. The single in the fourth inning is way in off the plate. So, uh, even the, uh, he had three hits on him on the day. Where was the other one? Uh, Now, I guess he only had the two hits off him on the day. Uh, The one that's the mistake here is the three-run home run that uh, he gives up to Johan Moncada in that, uh, what was that, the third inning. Now, if we go to the matchup there and we look at the matchup between Quantrill and Moncada in that inning, and uh, you'll see the mistake that Quantrill makes here. So with two guys on, it's a, it's a pretty deep at-bat. It's a six-pitch at-bat. He's trying to pitch him away the entire at-bat. He misses with a sinker, a two-seamer high. He misses with another sinker just below the knees, just misses below the knees there. That's a close one. Gets a change-up on the outside for a called strike. Gets him to chase a change-up away for a uh, swinging strike. Gets him to foul off a change-up way away that he fouls off. So he's got the count in his favor. It's a 2-2 count. They call for the cutter. This one is supposed to be a backdoor cutter, basically. Like a backdoor slider. This is supposed to be a backdoor cutter. Mele is set up down and away for this pitch. And instead, it comes middle of the plate and in. I'm telling you, right at the belt. Right in the sweet spot for Johan Mankata. And those lefties, I told you, down and in, right? They could do some damage. Well, this one is a middle in, and he unloads on it. 102.7 miles per hour, 35-degree launch angle, 401 feet uh, out to right. Out, they, they call it center field. I think it was right center field uh, for a three-run home run. And, yeah, you miss your location. You're clearly working the guy away. Who knows? That cutter down and away probably is a really successful pitch. either beats it into the ground Or strikes out on it, probably maybe, or fouls it off, of course. Of course, he could foul it off. But when you miss your location like this, and you come in middle of the plate to a really powerful guy, you're going to pay for it. And that's exactly what happens to Quantrill here. So yeah, the numbers don't look great for Quantrill, but this, I mean, this one pitch right here, this one pitch was the difference between a great start and an all right start. But an all-right start is good enough when your offense is clicking, and that's what the Guardians' offense was doing. He gets into trouble in that seventh inning. Runners on the corner. Trevor Steffen comes in, and come on. All of a sudden, Trevor Steffen is back to being a shutdown reliever. He goes two innings in this game, gives up no hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts, nothing. 14 pitches to get through two innings. He gets a pop-up and then gets a ground ball double play on the infield to get him out of that seventh inning and then shuts him down with two strikeouts in that eighth inning. And then Classe comes in. Your all-star closer, Emmanuel Classe, comes in, gets some ground balls, gets a strikeout on seven pitches. He's out of that ninth inning. And the Guardians hit the showers victorious over the White Sox. It's absolutely crazy. If I would have told you at the beginning of the season that between these two teams, one of them was going to have a lone representative a lone infield representative on the All-Star team, and the other team was going to have three representatives, two infielders and a reliever and a closer, which team would you have guessed had the three All-Stars and which team would you have guessed had the lone All-Star, right? Yeah, I don't think you would have guessed the Guardians had the three All-Stars, and that's exactly Tim Anderson is the lone representative for the White Sox, not Moncada, who's hitting 191 on the season, despite, yeah, he's got the power, Not Luis Robert, not Jose Abreu. Those guys didn't make the all-star team. Not uh, Hendricks, the closer for the White Sox. He didn't make it either. None of the starters between these two teams made the all-star game, which is kind of crazy because, I mean, really, they were kind of built on starting pitching. So, yeah, the Guardians have been the more successful team on the season, and it's showing in the all-star game, being represented in the all-star game. Once again, the White Sox play some sloppy defense. It costs them. They give up infield hits. Uh, They make some bad throws to the plate, and the Guardians walk away with this win. So uh, it's what we've been seeing all season. For some reason, the White Sox, we play really well against the White Sox. So we've got to do it in a doubleheader now today. It's going to be in uh, game one of this doubleheader. It's going to be Bieber against Martin in game two in the nightcap. Hilkington is getting the call up again from Triple A. He's done this so many times this season, and he's going against Dylan Cease, who's pitching very well for the White Sox. And then in the finale, it's going to be Giolito against Savali and the Wednesday finale of this series. So, yeah, it's a great way to kick off a series, and it's a fun win. It was a fun baseball game all the way to the end. There was definitely some good stuff to take you all the way through the ninth inning. How can I forget? Before we get out of here, we got to name MVP on the day. I'm actually, I'm kind of tossing this up between two guys in my head right now, but I think I got to go with Nolan Jones. He had the big four RBIs on the day. Frankly, I was considering Miles Straw, three RBIs on the day. I mean, that was huge from the nine spot in the lineup, but Jones, a great, you know, first game at home in Cleveland. He already has won MVP on the day once already in his very short major league career, and now he's got a second one to add to his trophy shelf along with that waterlogged ball from Kansas City in his first Major League home run. So, Nolan Jones, for the four RBIs, for blowing this game open, you're taking home MVP on the day. All right, this is a long episode because, I, man, apparently I was just that excited about the Guardians' offense to finally get to talk some offense here, and let's see if we can keep it rolling. That's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's the Guardians 8, the White Sox 4. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm tweeting a ton during the 1 o'clock game and not tweeting so much in the evening game. But you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts on this new look to the outfield, all these rookies in the outfield compared to how we started the season. Right? Uh, let me know your thoughts, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you want to go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.